Uh, Our scripture reading today is Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and uh, our reader today is me. Uh, So in honor of God's word, please stand. Uh, Listen as I read. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Our time today is going to be in Galatians chapter 6, and uh, our, our window is a little shorter than normal, so let's get, uh, let's get right to it. Uh, as you heard those verses read in Galatians chapter 6, a question that may have crossed your mind, but might not have crossed your mind, is, who do you think you are? Who, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? Now, there are a lot of possible answers to, to that question. Um, And there's a lot of questions that might race through your mind in hearing that question. That question might stir more questions or maybe no questions at all. In other words, you you, maybe you're not sure how to answer the question of who do you think you are. And maybe you have a great deal of confidence, like you have a very clear sense of who you are, a very strong sense of how you would answer that. Who do you think you are? Well, God offers some feedback on that. And I want to look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, from that perspective. Who do you think you are? Um, this, this book, uh, the book of Galatians, it's, a, it's six chapters. It's found in the New Testament. If, you, if you're using a chair Bible, it's page 975 uh, is, the, is the text that we're on. Uh, and it's, just, it's a pretty short little letter from a guy named Paul uh, to a group of churches And so he's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a group of people that are gathering regularly in community to study the word of God, to to help each other grow, to to bless their city. And as he comes to chapter 6, he starts off chapter 6 with the word brothers. Now, your your translation might say brothers and sisters, and and that would be an appropriate translation as well. So, So brothers... If you hop down to the last verse of chapter 6, it ends with brothers. The the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with with your spirit, brothers, or brothers and sisters. And so it's bookends to chapter 6. It starts with brothers, and it ends with brothers. Or it starts with brothers and sisters, and it ends with brothers and sisters. Uh, One commentator said, a whole argument lies within this one word. Family. Family. Paul is writing to this church and he's suggesting that they're a family, brothers and sisters. If, if you're reading this, if you're this part of this church that Paul wrote this letter to, he's saying you're in a family. And this idea of family is inherent in the good news of the gospel. One of the beautiful components of the gospel message is this idea of being adopted, of actually being adopted into the family of God, of being brought in, of being baptized in the name of the Father, of being, becoming a, a child of God. And if that's happened to you if, you, if you've turned to Christ, if you've put your hope in Christ, then that means that you too have been adopted into this family, and you are rightly referred to as a brother or a sister. 
Uh, a few different times over the recent years, we've, we've had the chance to, to investigate this subject a little bit and to just recognize that the dominant language in the local church in the New Testament, the number one way that we are invited to see each other is brother and sister. Not, not pastor and congregant, not, not friends, brothers and sisters. That the number one way I should see the other women in our church is as my sisters. The number one way I should see the other men in my church is as brothers, brothers and sisters. And as Paul comes to Galatians chapter 6, he starts right off by reminding them, you're part of a family. And if that's true, then we are to love one another as brothers and sisters, the, the same way that God has loved us. In, in our society, uh, we have a little bit of a mentality that says you are what you do. And so it's, it's not uncommon. I just was in a little email conversation about this recently. But the tendency when you meet someone to, to like get right to what do you do? And how what you do, what you do for a living, what your work is, can so quickly become your identity. When you answer the question of who are you? Who do you think you are? In our society, your work, your job, your resume tends to play a pretty big part in that. Our, our society says you are what you do. But the gospel actually says you do who you are. You do who you are. In other words, identity leads to activity. Who you are is how you live. And if God says that we are brothers and sisters, if God says that we are part of a family, if God says that we are children of his, then that then speaks to how we live. It speaks to the kinds of activities that we should engage in. And in these five verses, Paul gives some examples of what brother and sister living looks like. He gives one in verse one, and then he gives two more in the, in the, in the uh, other verses that we're going to look at. So first, uh, in, in, verse, in verse one of chapter six, if anyone is caught in any transgression or any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, gen in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. He says, if, if anybody falls into sin, so the, the first activity that he invites the, 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 the brothers and the sisters to think about is, what happens when one of you sin? What happens when one of you transgress? What happens when one of you mess up? You know, and in the Bible, the, the, the Bible's use of the word sin, it means missing the mark. It means that God has this good design for you. It's the way that the world is supposed to work. And when you miss that, it, it, the Bible refers to that as sin. As when you go outside of this good design that God has given for you and for the world. And so Paul says, what do families do if a brother or a sister falls into sin? What, what are we supposed to do? Whisper about it? Feel superior? Another one underneath me. I'm, I have a better resume than them now. Get out the popcorn and watch? No. Paul actually says, we jump in. We jump in gently. This, this idea, this, this, there's a humble spirit. There's almost a, a lenience to this. There, there's a sense in which there's assuming the best, listening, asking good questions. So you jump in gently. You jump in wisely. The, the goal is restoration. Now, when that happens, it, it's beautiful. It doesn't always happen. Can I get an amen? 
If, if, you've, if you've tried to jump in on somebody's life, when you've seen them missing God's mark, when you've seen them missing God's good way, sometimes you get your hand bit. So, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. Sometimes you're trying to help out and it doesn't seem like you helped at all. But Paul says that's why it should be the mature. It should be done carefully. It should be done in a spirit of gentleness. There's there's a caution here. There's a kindness here. There's a patience here. What happens when a family member falls into sin? Well, you, you jump in with gentleness and wisdom and kindness and patience. Second kind of behavior. Paul gives another example. In verse 2, we're called to bear each other's burdens. So if a family member sins, you dive in. Well, what happens if someone's carrying a heavy burden? You dive in on that too. You actually care enough to help and to help at some cost to yourself. You see, Paul says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. It seems like Paul is saying that we do not just help people because we have extra. We don't just help people because we have extra money or extra time or extra energy. Paul seems to be saying, jump in, help out of the surplus if you have it, that's fine. But the kind of help that Paul is pointing to is actually a little bit more than just your surplus. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, a Bible scholar and pastor, he, he said, that it's, uh, this is a paraphrase, he said that if you think you are bearing another's burden, but it does not cost you anything, then you're not actually bearing anything. The, the idea of bearing the burden is that you actually feel it, that it actually, something, something lands on your shoulder too. You're, you're, you're carrying something too. If all of your care is just surplus, if all of your engagement is just surplus, you know, Jonathan Edwards' conclusion was, I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about. It seems like Paul's saying, like, you feel it. Your bearing of the burden is something that you experience as a burden too. Now, you might say, I don't want to have to bear any burdens. All right. Like, I understand why you'd say that, but I, I got bad news for you. It's all over the place. Burdens are all over the place. Burdens are part of life on this earth. Burdens are a real part of life. And some of the people sitting beside you right now are in the thick of it. You know, maybe it's better to just have your bubble bursted. To just have it popped. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he, he talks about this idea, the danger of the ideal. And he says that one of the things that we're all in danger of, and he's, he's talking to Christians that Christians are really in danger of, is creating an ideal, this perfect thing, and then expecting everybody to live up to that ideal. So the ideal friend, or the ideal job, or the ideal spouse, or the ideal church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, here's the problem with the ideal. It doesn't exist on this earth. And if you hold up the ideal, you're going to destroy what's real you'll actually crush the friends that you do have because they can't live up to your ideal. You'll crush the job that you do have. You'll crush the spouse that you do have. You'll crush the, the, the church that you do have. You, you will crush people with your ideal. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, you know what's better? Just have the ideal bubble popped. Just, just get it out. 
Just come to the realization that that's unfair in the world in its current condition. Bear each other's burdens. When we do it, when we bear each other's burdens, it's a beautiful display of Jesus. Paul actually says this kind of living fulfills the law of Christ. The the law, the Bible tells us, is summed up in one word, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. You you, you sacrifice for your sake. uh, That's my tendency, is I sacrifice for my sake. So I'll, I'll do things but I'll do things, if I'm honest, it's like it's for my own ego. It's, it's for me to actually feel a little bit better about myself, for me to have done my good deed, to make others think positively about me. But Paul seems to be inviting us to sacrifice for the sake of others, to bear the burdens for the sake of others. But Paul is talking about sacrificial help, that there, there's a cost to you. Think about Jesus' life and the lives that Jesus jumped into. In his cultural moment, there, there, it was of incredible cost to him. The kinds of people that he hung out with got him great condemnation from his own family, from his own community, from his own religious leaders. Incredible cost for him to befriend and to help the people that he helped. Look, it costs you to take care of you. Wouldn't you expect it to cost you to help take care of others? So that's second. First one is, what happens when a family member falls into sin? Second is, what happens when a family member is carrying a load that's too heavy? Third, some of you maybe jumped ahead and read verse 5 or already put the pieces together, and you looked at verse 5 and you're saying, whoa, 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 wait, what's what's Paul doing here? Paul seems to be contradicting himself. In verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens, but then in verse 5, he says, each will have to bear his own load. So what's, what's going on? Did Paul forget what he wrote in verse 2? Is Paul contradicting himself? Bear each other's burdens and then bear your own load. Well, you know, which, which is it, Paul? What do we got going here? Well, verse 2, these are different words in verse 2 and verse 5. In verse 2, it refers to an extra heavy load. That word for burden is referring to an extra heavy load. In verse 5, it, has, uh, it almost has a connotation of a backpack, and it's like a normal backpack. And so what Paul seems to be saying in verse 2 is, if your brother or sister has a load that is abnormally heavy, it's extra heavy. Man, as a brother or a sister, you should be jumping in on that. But there is a normal load to life on this earth. There are normal responsibilities. So uh, over the course of my life, I've had the chance to do three wilderness trips uh, to Algonquin Provincial Park in Canada, and they were fabulous. They were week-long. Uh, each of them were, were week-long trips. I uh, got to leave, you know, leave base camp. You leave base camp on a canoe, uh, and you have a backpack with you, and your backpack's full of everything you need for the whole week, uh, and it's like a 50-mile loop, and it ends back at the, at the base camp. Uh, Everybody had to carry their own pack, Uh, and your pack, again, had everything you needed for the whole week, but we also had to carry a canoe, because in Algonquin, there are just tons and tons of lakes, and when you come to the end of the lake, uh, in order to get to the next lake, you had to carry your canoe, and it's called portage, or if you're in Canada, it's called portage, but you have to pick up your canoe, and you carry your canoe over, and for some people, the idea of carrying like a 60-pound 
backpack and then carrying a canoe on top of that was, was, was crushing. One of my trips to Algonquin was with a junior high youth group. And so the backpack weighed as much as the kids. And then they had to carry a canoe. And so you could understand if you were looking at the situation and you're looking at a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old, you realize quickly that this is an extra heavy burden. The backpack's their job, but the canoe on top of it is an extra heavy burden. And it's a good way to think about what Paul is talking about. He's saying in verse 2, if your brother or sister has an extra heavy burden, jump in. But is your brother or sister carrying the normal burdens of their life? You know, one of the great distortions in life, and it happens in Christian community too, is expecting others to do for you what God actually expects you to carry for yourself, you to do for yourself. And it's so easy to spot this in other people and so hard to spot this in ourselves. Isn't it easy to look at other people and be like, oh, they're so needy, so needy. They're always asking for help. But sometimes we're not fulfilling our responsibilities, and it's so easy to give ourselves a pass. Normal life, okay, here's another news bulletin. Normal life has a normal level of burden to it. But that burden is your responsibility. An example of this in the book of James. James actually says that you are to care for your family. That is your job. If if you have those responsibilities, that is on your shoulder to take care of your family, to be giving your best effort to take care of your family. He, he, He has some pretty strong words about people who don't do that. And there's a sense in which Paul's, uh, James is saying, you've got normal responsibilities and you need to get to work. You, you have agency. You have responsibility. Don't sit around and, make, and expect other people to carry your normal load. Again, the world is broken. Things don't always work out right. Sometimes you get some blindsides. Sometimes there's a little bump in the road. But you have responsibilities, and you need to pursue those responsibilities. You need to be faithful to them. Now, Paul might be pointing to another personal responsibility, another personal burden, and that is your own individual responsibility before God. John Stott, who wrote a commentary here on Galatians chapter 6, this is what he wrote. He said, on the day of judgment, I cannot bear your burden, and you cannot bear mine. In other words, every person stands before God responsible for themselves. That that is a burden that you are to take before the Lord. You are supposed to take responsibility for it. So if we were summarizing these things, I know there's not been any notes on the screen really yet, but here they are. Paul is saying this, if my brother or sister has fallen into sin, I am to gently restore them. If my brother or sister is overburdened, I'm to help carry the load. If my brother or sister has grown lazy, uncommitted, then I'm to remind them of who they are in Christ and their responsibility to trust him as they carry their own load. This is a a call to family dynamics. It's a a way of living as the people of God. You know, a few years ago, uh, Traverse City showed up on a list that none of us were expecting to see Traverse City on. Barna, uh, Barna Research uh, released this list, the top 20 de-churched cities in America. And Traverse City showed up as number 14 
on, de- on the de-churched cities in America. And that's significant. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because what that means is that in our community, we have an abnormally high number of people who have, quote-unquote, tried Christianity and walked away. And, and we, we need to be aware of that. You know, Pew Research has done a lot of work on the reasons why people stop going to church. And, and Pew Research shows that less than 50% of people who have quit going to church say it's because they no longer believe. What, what they actually point to is they have some questions that the church does not seem to be answering, the hypocrisy that exists inside the church, individual hurts from the way they've been treated in the church, or busyness. You see, lights, you know, purple lights, fog machines, super rowdy music, lots and lots of video, shorter sermons, longer sermons. You know, fine, D- try, try any of them, D- do any of them. But if you think that the world is waiting to see if the church can put on a good show, you're, you're missing what's really going on in the hearts of people. People have real questions. They have real doubts. People want to see something real, something that is humble and gracious, something that doesn't fall apart with success or in suffering. Most people are not surprised. They are not surprised that, Christian make, make, that Christians make mistakes. Most people are not surprised that Christians sin. That's usually not the holdup. It's the hypocrisy. It's the arrogance, the elitist, judgmental spirit. The unwillingness to admit your failures, the unwillingness to admit your sin. That's what sticks out to people. What what if we were actually a group of people who who loved each other like Galatians chapter 6? who actually loved each other enough to to jump in, to jump in when someone fails, to jump in when someone has too heavy of a load, to jump in when someone isn't carrying their load. What if that's the kind of community we fostered here? What if that's the way you lived your life? This kind of living, this kind of community, it's not something that you can glue on from the outside. It's something that, that bubbles up from inside. At the, in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, the verses right before this, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says you, you, you need the Spirit of God in you to foster these kinds of realities, this, this fruit that, is the, that, that, that comes from the roots of the Spirit of God. The word that the Bible uses for this often is the word koinonia. It means fellowship or intimate community. It means having things in common. Sounds family, doesn't it? We are family, the family of God. And if you are a Christian, it is actually the most important thing about you, that you're a child of God, that we in this room, brothers and sisters of each other, children of God. Do you believe that? Well, it all sounds good. But how do you do it? It sounds awesome. But if we're honest, we know it's really easy to say, really hard to do. So what's our hope to live like this? Well, we have to see that there is one who lived this kind of life and carried every one of his normal burdens perfectly. You know, Jesus carried all the normal challenges. You know, his backpack. He he carried every bit of that And he did it sinlessly. 
Jesus dealt with financial limitations, fatigue, betrayal, relational strain, hunger, pain, disappointment, and he bore all of that perfectly. But Jesus went so much further than that. Jesus took Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, this reality of bearing one another's burdens, and he took it to its eternal application. Jesus did not just take your disappointments and your heartaches, as painful as those things are, he bore your greatest burden, the greatest burden that you will ever face. Jesus took your great burden of sin and separation from God, and he resolved it on the cross. You know, we read in the Bible that on the cross, Jesus took all your sin and shame and bore it on his shoulders at incredible cost to himself. He bore your greatest burden. And if you see that, if you believe that, then listen, the weight of the world has been taken off of your shoulders. That, that burden has been lifted off of you. This is the good news of the gospel. I, I know it may feel like you're not going to make it sometimes. But the promise of the gospel is that Jesus is carrying you, that Jesus has you. And if that's true, then you suddenly realize that you can jump into the lives of others, not for your sake, but for their sake. You, you'll realize that if Jesus really has served me in the only way that matters, then I don't have to spend my life serving me. This is, we, we've said this phrase so many times here. This is revolutionary thinking. If Jesus has already met all my needs, then I don't have to spend all of my energy trying to meet my needs. I actually have, I, 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 can, I can turn and face others. I can actually jump into the lives of other people. I can give my life away. I can forgive. I can help others with their burdens. I can help others grow. Jesus has taken your greatest burden and he's invited you into a community to be part of making a community that shows what that looks like in real time in the here and now. It's the, it's the invitation that we, I mean, I, Galatians 6, 1 through 5 offers us a, a, a unique perspective. It offers us into some specific rhythms, three things. What happens when a brother or sister falls into sin? What happens when a brother or sister has a load too heavy to carry? What happens when a brother and sister isn't carrying their load? But you know how many other passages in the Bible we could turn to where the call would be almost identical? To, to live out this, this law of Christ, to live out this life of love, to live it out as a family and let it be uh, a, a gift to you, to them, and to the world? May it be so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this, the, this short little passage, Galatians 6, 1 through 5, for the invitation, the call, really, for us to live as family, for us to be the kind of people who, who are willing to, to love others uh, at great cost to ourselves, that we're able to, or that we're willing to, to wade into lives that have uh, missed your good mark, that we're willing to wade into situations where the burden is too heavy, that we're willing to help others who aren't carrying their own load. God, I look in the rearview mirror of my life, how, how desperately I have needed people to do these things for me. How desperately I have needed others with, with wisdom and kindness and patience and grace to, to, to wade into my life and to tell me the truth about the situation, to offer me the help that I need. Sometimes it's easier to hear. Sometimes it's harder to hear. But God, we thank you for the grace that you pour out on us through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.